So it's generating our motivation. <clears throat> We've been having very beautiful nighttime skies here at the Abbey. So many stars completely filled with stars. And they look like tiny dots, but they're actually quite huge. And there's probably planets revolving around them and all different sorts of life forms there. Some maybe we can see with our senses, some we can't. But a universe filled with sentient beings, all of whom have been our mother in previous lives. So we've had a very close connection with all these sentient beings. So when we really feel that connection and their kindness, then of course we want to repay it. And the best way to do that is to attain full awakening so that we will have the wisdom and compassion and skill and power from our side to be able to do all we can to benefit them without just wobbling around in our ignorance, trying to help but not really knowing what we're doing. And so let's generate that bodhicitta intention for full awakening, however long it takes. Because that will really be of great benefit and it will make this life and all of our future lives meaningful. And having a meaningful life is very important having a happy life. When we don't feel much meaning or purpose in our life, then we're quite miserable. So even though practicing the path has its ups and downs, it will give us a lot of confidence and meaning and therefore happiness while we're on the path and especially when we've attained the result. Not to mention at all the happiness that our practicing the path will give other living beings.
So I was thinking a little bit about this meditation, you know, with the kindness of the mother, kindness of both parents, actually. Um, Seeing our turkeys, yeah, and how some, our white turkeys showed up again with two other mamas, and together I think they have maybe six or seven chicks. And just how, uh, you know, the turkey mamas take care of the turkey chicks and try and keep them together. And there's always a few chicks, chicks, you know, there's always Alfred and Frederick who are wandering off somewhere, you know, they found something good they want to explore. And mom and the other chicks are going off in one direction. And mama uh, turkey has to go back and, you know, do her sweet little call. It's it's quite a sweet... Alfredo. <laughs> Ethel. Yeah. Frederick. Henrietta. Come. Yeah. She's so sweet with her chicks. And then to see how she lays on top of them, you know, at night and spreads her whole body out. You know, especially when we had the mama turkey who had 11 chicks. I mean, what she had to do to protect them at night, just kind of flatten her body and spread it out over those chicks. So I was thinking about, you know, that kind of kindness that, uh, you know, probably the baby chicks don't appreciate in the same way that we hardly appreciate the kindness of our parents. Okay. And then I received a letter from a, an email from a friend, and he was telling me that his mother was quite ill, and he had to carry her and um, put her in the car and then slide her over, because she couldn't even, she didn't have the strength even to slide herself over to, so they could close the, the door. And she was so light and frail. And I was thinking of how much she trusted him, you know, when he was carrying her down and gently laying her in the car and pushing her over, because he was so aware of how fragile she was. So he was really gentle. And I was thinking, she, you know, the kind of trust that she had in her son, you know, when she was vulnerable and incapacitated because they were taking her to the ER. And so that made me think, you know, uh, we're practicing the path and sentient beings are kind to us when they've been our parents and when they haven't. Yeah, Uh, And then we wander all over the place looking for our adventure, ignoring the other sentient beings. You know, even though Buddha is calling out to us, Henrietta, Ethel, yeah, Alfredo, come on. And we ignore them and wander around. And, but then how the mother sentient beings 
uh, they're trusting us to help them. Yeah, we have access to the Dharma. We've been able to learn the teachings and practice them. So they're trusting us to be able to lead them out of samsara and take care of them. When they're vulnerable, when they're incapacitated, which is the state of living in samsara. You're vulnerable, you're incapacitated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if we stop and, and like think about that kind of trust that somehow they're having in us, confidence that they're having in us, that we will do something to help them from the terrors of samsara. Hmm? So sometimes these analogies, you know, they evoke a certain feeling in you uh, and a, a certain willingness to practice. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but when people trust me, it makes me... Uh, I wake up. Yeah, I wake up. I can't be sloppy when other people trust me. Okay, back to the book. So we've been talking about karma and its results. Yeah, we're on page 246 of the Foundation of Buddhist Practice, about halfway down the page. So we just finished the 10 non-virtues. Okay, how many of them have you done? I've done all ten. Have you done all ten? Yeah, I've done all ten multiple times. Yeah, without any regret. In fact, rejoicing after I've done them. Yeah. So when you kind of hear the teaching on karma and you realize that your actions have a... uh, an ethical dimension and they're going to influence where you're reborn and what happens to you and so on, then it's like, oh, I better get myself in shape here. Because we don't know when death will come and when it's there, our karma comes with us, but not all the people and objects that we created negative karma for. Yeah, they all stay here. So we have to kind of get ourselves together. Okay. So His Holiness says, although each of the ten can be initiated with any of the three poisons. Okay, so we're talking a little bit about this last time. Why? Some of them, especially the last three, which are afflictions, how can the action be initiated by the three poisons if the action itself is a particular affliction or if the path of action is a particular effect? That's because you have the, um, the causal motivation and then you have the timely mo- the med- motivation at the time. 
yeah, in, in terms of those last three. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, in terms of all of them, because listen. Okay, so although each of the ten can be initiated with any of the three poisons, killing, harsh words, and malice are completed exclusively with animosity. In other words, you may have started out with a, a motivation of attachment or ignorance, but to have the oomph in your mind to do those through three actions, uh, anger, hostility, you know, something like that has to be the motivation at the time that you do the action. Okay. Um, so those three are done exclusively with animosity. Stealing, unwise and unkind sexual behavior, and coveting okay, are completed with attachment. Okay, So they may be started out with another motivation. You want to steal to harm your enemy, but you know to actually do the stealing, there's got to be some attachment to getting the, the objects. And then wrong views are always completed with confusion, with ignorance. Okay. So lying, divisive words, and idle talk may be completed with any of the three afflictions. So we may start out with any of the three and then finish the action with any of the three. Okay. Yeah, because you can see, for example, with lying, we lie with attachment to, uh, you know, to get something we want. We lie with anger to protect somebody from knowing something we did that we don't want them to know. We lie with ignorance, yeah, thinking that it's okay. Yeah, so these three can, can be the completing motivation. So according to the Treasury of Knowledge, which was written by Vasubandhu, who was the brother of Asanga. Okay, in the what century? Yeah, fourth, early fourth. Okay, late third, early fourth. Okay, so according to the Treasury of Knowledge, some of the ten non-virtues are karma or actions. Some are karmic paths. Some are afflictions. And some are more than one of these. What does the footnote say? Oh, it's just quoting, showing you the place in the Lamrim Chenmo where it talks about that. Okay, so the mental factor of intention. So remember when we have a primary mind, there's five omnipresent minds. Intention is one of those mental factors. Okay, so that mental factor of intention is karma. So this is according to the the lower tenant systems, but it isn't really refuted by the upper by the prasangikas. Yeah. So mental factor of intention is karma. 
The intention to take life is the karma of killing, and the intention to vent our anger through harsh speech is the karma of harsh speech. So before you've even done it, the intention to do it is creating karma. Okay? And when you do it, it creates karma too, because you still have the intention while you're doing the action. When you do, it isn't like you have the intention before and then you stop while you're doing it. If you stopped having the intention while you do it, did it, you never finish the action. So the three mental non-virtues, covetousness, malice, and wrong views, are not karma. They are strong forms of the afflictions of attachment, animosity, and confusion, uh, respectively. So remember, the word here is strong forms. So it's not just a passing thought of attachment that is the karma of uh, covetousness. It's not just a moment of anger that's the karma of malice. It's developing those afflictions, okay? Really, yeah, planning, going into it, daydreaming, yeah? Then you're going to actualize that daydreaming. Okay, so it's a daydream that's planning, yeah? Okay, so karma, the mental factor of intention, and afflictions are mutually exclusive. So whatever is an an intention, whatever is a karma is not an affliction. Whatever is affliction is not a karma. Okay? So afflictions are the cause of karma. They are the forerunners that give rise to intentions. Lots of times people get this mixed up and they say, uh, they look at it and say, okay, well, I'm feeling angry now. Is it my karma to feel angry? Yeah, as if the karma were the cause of the anger. Yeah, there may be some small element of karma involved, but the main thing when we're angry is the affliction of anger. There's the seed of anger in the mind stream. Something sparked it, and the anger came up. And from that, we generate intentions to do harm and so on. Okay. So afflictions are the cause of karma. They are the forerunners that give rise to intentions. Strong attachment sparks the intention for unwise or unkind sexual behavior. Strong animosity provokes the intention to create disharmony between people through speaking divisively. Strong, ignorant, wrong views may instigate intentions to engage in any of the 10 non-virtues. So that's why they say with the 10 non-virtues, actually the worst one is wrong views. Because when we have wrong views, then we give ourselves permission to do the other nine. Okay. So the wrong views is like, well, you know, my actions have no long-term consequence. 
you know, and if they do, I don't know what it is, and I don't care because I don't really believe there's any confidence, any consequences. So I just do what I want, and you know, and we'll see what happens without really thinking about it much, you know. Okay, and then with that ignorance, then who knows what in the world we can do, yeah? When we forget that, that our actions have results, or when we don't care that they have results, or when we're overwhelmed by afflictions, then, you know... So, you know, like all the, the prisoners, you know, the, the incarcerated people that I work with, you know, I don't think any of them awoke the morning that they did uh, their crime, those who were in prison, because they actually did something. Um, you know, none of them woke up in the morning saying, oh, I think I'll do something really aggressive and violent and... Uh, you know, that will land me in prison. You know, they didn't think about that in the morning. And they didn't think, oh, I have a really bad temper. I better watch it because, you know, I may see this person tonight that I don't like, and so I don't want to really lose my temper and do something that is harmful. You know, they don't think that. So, you know, there's just kind of ignorance involved in the whole way through. It's like, okay, I'm somewhere and somebody's challenging me, you know, they're in my face and I don't like people in my face. So, you know, I'll punch them, I'll shoot them. I mean, now, I mean, what people are shooting other people for is incredible. Yeah, somebody goes to a store without a mask And one of the employees says, you have to wear a mask to come in the store. It's a policy. It's posted on the window. Person goes away, comes back with their friend, and shoots the employee. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's hard to believe that somebody would actually do that. You know, they're not only ruining somebody else's life, they're ruining their own life. Yeah, they're going to wind up, you know, if not with a death penalty, with a life without the chance of parole. For what? Yeah, for claiming that nobody's going to tell me what to do, like put on a mask. Okay, so that, that you can see, that's, there's a lot of ignorance in the motivation. And then there's anger. The anger was the timely motivation at the time they did the action. But it was, you know, the ignorance that just like, yeah, no problem. Nope, no problem in doing this. So yeah, you'd be really shocked what, what, what's happening. Okay, so that's why wrong views is the worst of all of them. Even though wrong views is just a mental one, you're not even saying or doing anything. When the ten non-virtues are done with all the four branches intact, they become karmic paths, indicating that they are conduits leading to future rebirths. 
Okay, so this is the etymology of why they're called paths. Yeah, they're conduits. They, they're a path leading to a new, new rebirth. We have a path between Ananda and Gotami, you know, that will lead you from Ananda to Gotami. So this is a path that leads you from your action to a, a future rebirth. You know, not an actual path like, you know, you, you don't get uh, wood chips in this path in your shoes. So they are also called uh, karmic paths. Another reason why they're karmic paths. Because they are either the cause of an intention or the path that intention travels to perform an action. Okay? So the three mental non-virtues, covetousness, malice, and wrong views, are karmic paths because they cause an intention. Okay, they're the path leading to intention. And also because those three lead to unfortunate rebirths. Okay, they're the path, um, yeah. Well, they're, they're leading, they're, they're, um, also being a karmic path because they, they lead to the rebirth. But uh, they're also a path because they're the path the intention travels to perform an action. Okay. So the seven non-virtues of body and speech are karmic paths because they are the path that intention travels to carry out the intention and they are also the paths to the unfortunate rebirths. Okay, so these seven are also karmas. They're also intentions. So the first Dalai Lama instructs, if, uh, yeah, if one asks, why are these ten called karmic paths? From the three of mind, the intention embarks on its path. It it embarks on its path to cause an action, okay? The seven of body and speech are also karma, yeah? They embark on the path to an action, and they are the karma that, that leads to the, takes you to the next rebirth, yeah? Oh, yeah, and it says here, and because they are the paths on which the intention embarks, okay? Uh, so they are called karmic paths. So if you look at the, the chart below, that's a very succinct way of getting it. So the mental factor of intention, it's a karma, okay? It's not a karmic path, yeah? And it's not an inf affliction, the seven, phys seven physical and verbal non-virtues, they are karma, because they have that intention, okay? They are the karmic path that will take you when all four parts are complete to the next, to a future rebirth. But they are not an affliction, even though they are motivated by an affliction. Okay? Then the three mental non-virtues, they are not a, an intention, 
But if they're in, if they're concomitant with the same primary mental consciousness that, you know, and that has a mental factor of intention, yeah, they can be concomitant with that mental factor of intention, but they are not an intention, they are not a karma. Yeah, why? Because they're an affliction. And they are a karmic path because they will also lead you into future lives and bear a result. Okay. So you kind of got to think about this. and It helps us understand the different parts of these actions and how they work together. So we commonly speak of the 10 destructive actions and the 10 constructive actions. You know, that's how we just talk about it. However, technically, although all 10 are karmic paths, not all of them are karma or action. Okay, only the seven are karmic, are, um, yeah, are karmas, yeah. Yeah, only the seven of the ten are karmas. Even though we say the ten, yeah, destructive karmas. So three are only paths. The treasury of knowledge says three are only paths. Which three are those? The mental ones. Okay, seven are not only paths, but are actually, but are also actions. Okay, so those are the seven physical and verbal ones. It also says covetousness and so forth are not actions. Okay, so this kind of uh, detail on these things you find in Abhidharma. Encouraging or asking others to act destructively also creates destructive karma. Okay, if other factors are equal, the karma is heavier when we do the action ourselves because it requires more energy to overcome whatever hesitancy we may have uh, we may have had to do the action. Okay, so if everything else is equal, doing it ourselves is heavy. Okay, this goes also for the virtuous actions. Nevertheless, we create a complete karma. When we ask someone to do the action and he or she does it. So even though we're not there, even though we don't lift lift a finger, if we ask them and we have a clear intention and express that to somebody and ask them to do a negative action, when they do it, it becomes a complete karma for us, even though we did not physically or verbally do the action. Leaders of companies, organizations, and governments need to be aware of this when they give instructions and set policies. So for example, if you are, you know, the commanding officer of a unit in the armed forces and you're going into battle 
and you say, go kill the enemy as much as possible, you may stay back, because I don't know how much the big shot goes into battle. Anybody know? None of us are vets. You're a vet. Yeah, yeah. If it's a super big shot, he doesn't go, huh? Yeah. Would a sergeant would go? Yes. Yeah, okay. What's a general wouldn't, but a major might. Okay, okay. So, you know, let's say you're the general, and, uh, you know, you're General Westmoreland. Remember him? So, uh, he tells everybody, you go and kill the enemy as many as you can, okay? He's staying back in his cootie somewhere, you know, or maybe he's, you know, in Saigon in an aircon room. But every soldier, all the people that his soldiers kill under his command, because he told them to go kill people, he accumulates the killing of that many human beings. Yeah. So you have to be very careful what you ask people to do, especially in that kind of position. Yeah. And especially if somebody is threatened with court-martial, if they don't go to battle because the whichever commanding officer told them to go. Okay. <coughs> Yeah. Similarly, you know, if you set policies and you have the intention to harm people through your policies, even though you're not the one who enacts the policies, yeah, the fact that you tell other people to do it, you create the complete karmas of doing it. Okay. So like I said, this also works for, for virtuous karma. Yeah, which is why it's good to, uh, you know, encourage people to do virtue. Th this is where I think of Kenru getting his 20, 30 family members together to offer a sangha karma, uh, a sangha dana, you know, uh, because he's telling all the rest of them, you know, we're going to make this offering to the sangha. And they all do it, so they accumulate that virtue. But he does, too, because he told them to. Okay? So th this kind of thing goes way both ways. So we have to check up what things we encourage people to do. Yeah? Do we encourage people to make offerings? Do we encourage them to practice well? Or do we encourage them to commit non-virtue? Yeah. yeah. So this is why sometimes when you think of these leaders and the karma they create, you know, it is heavy, really heavy. Yeah. And uh, most of them have no idea of how heavy that karma is. They don't even think about karma. They just think about their worldly power. And then in the next life, they experience the results. 
So this is why we have to have some compassion for people that are harmful. Yeah? Because if you just think of the harm they're giving this life, it's, well, you can still have compassion. You know, they're obviously suffering if they're going out and harming somebody. But the tendency is to be angry, not compassionate. But when you think of the results of their actions, yeah, and what they're going to experience in future lives, it's quite scary, and you kind of have to have compassion. Yeah. I, uh, when I went to, um, what year was it? 1990, no, 1987. That's when we were in Tibet, right? The summer of 87. So we um, went to Gondon Monastery. It's outside Lhasa. It's up on a hill, and we were in a, a bus. And... The bus is like exerting all this energy to like, because it's a windy road and it's on a high, very high hill. And the bus is like, and you know, finally going around these curves and getting us up there. And I was thinking that when the uh, Red Guards came and the Chinese soldiers before the Red Guards, they didn't probably didn't even have a bus to get up to the top. They probably had to walk, yeah, because people didn't have wheels in Tibet before fifty nine. And I thought, wow, those PLA soldiers had so much energy. They put in so much energy to go up there and destroy the Dharma, and probably killed some people or harmed some people. And I thought, if I used half as much of that energy to practice the Dharma, I would really be able to get somewhere. You know? But when I thought of, you know, these PLA soldiers, most of them were young boys, yeah, not well educated, they're from the village, they join the army to make some money for their family. And so while they may have had compassion for their family, they wound up being in a position creating this horrible karma and being totally unaware of that. Yeah? And I just thought, wow, how sad. You you know, when you don't understand karma, you get yourself in real pickles. And this wasn't just a pickle. This was a, I don't know. <laughs> but, huh? Hell realm. Hell realm, yeah. So, uh, you know, to be careful and think about uh, the results of our actions and the kind of imprints we're putting in our mind. Which, by the way, we often use the word karma to refer not only to the action, but to the seed or the imprint of the action in, in the mind. Yeah? And 
karma does not refer to the to the seed or imprint in the mind. Yeah, it just refers to the action. So the seed, yeah, is comes after the action. Yeah, after the action has ceased. And people often say the the uh, virtuous or non-virtuous seeds. That's incorrect. The seeds, the latencies, are neutral. They aren't non-virtuous. They aren't virtuous. But the karma that created those seeds or imprints, the karma is virtuous or non-virtuous. But the seed itself is an abstract composite, and it's uh, neutral, ethically neutral. Okay, just so that you can be aware of your language when you're speaking. Yeah. Okay, so where were we? We're up here. Uh, Likewise, when we ask a family member or a friend to lie on our behalf, and that person does so, both of us create the destructive karma of lying. Okay. So remember that that first, um, what was his name? Sean. The first, um, hmm? yeah. Yeah. So he was the, the first, uh, what, uh, press, press, communications secretary? Press secretary, yeah. So he was told to lie about the number of people at the inauguration. Yeah. And he repeatedly repeated that lie. Okay. So he created the karma of lying. And somebody else, we don't know who, also created the karma for telling him to do that. Okay? So when we really care about other people, we don't encourage them or tell them to do non-virtuous actions. Yeah? Because that really harms them. Mm -hmm. So the same holds true for virtuous actions. Encouraging others to act constructively creates constructive karma for ourselves as well as for the other people. However, the virtue is heavier if we make an offering that if we ask somebody else to do it for us. So Lama Atisha, there's some story about that, uh, but the conclusion of the story is that he told people, you know, uh, rather than tell your attendants or your friends to make offerings on the altar in the morning, it's better to do it yourself because, you know, it, it's heavier when you have to exert the effort. But of course, you know, if your friend's going to Bodhaya and you give them something to offer at the stupa, yeah, then you create virtue and they create virtue. Rejoicing at the harmful actions of others is tantamount to doing them ourselves. 
we can accumulate a great deal of destructive karma, rejoicing in others' harmful deeds when we listen to the news. That's one way, you know, you listen to the news. Think about it. You remember the night uh, bin Laden was killed? And people were outside the White House cheering, screaming with joy. Okay? So you rejoice in somebody else's negative karma. This is what they uh, try and do with the, with the death penalty. They, try, they uh, use the victim's family and pump them up so that they feel they will, uh, you know, they'll get even, they'll get justice, they'll feel totally happy when the person who harmed their loved one is executed. Okay, Susan Otto, the, um, you know, the, the federal attorney, she explained this to me. And so, you know, they really try and get the victim's family. Yes, we want to retaliate. We're going to go to the execution. You know, we want to be there. Recently, in what state? I forget. Maybe it was Oklahoma. They delayed an execution so that the family of the victim could arrive there because it was hard to do during COVID. Maybe it wasn't Oklahoma. It was somewhere else. Anyway, yeah? So that they get the family, like, we're going to be so happy. Justice is done when this person is killed. And Susan told me, because she's been to many executions because she's defended many of these people, um, is that the family is never happy afterwards. The nev family never feels relieved. Yeah. And afterwards, you know, the, uh, the prosecutors and so on want them, the family to go out and talk to the press and yes, we're so happy, finally justice is done. And then Susan said, then the, the prosecutors, all the people involved in that, totally forget about the family. They drop the family because they achieved their purpose of we're tough on crime and we got this guy killed. But the family doesn't feel any better even though they were told that they were going to feel better. Okay. So this is, you know, you see the kinds of karma people create in these situations. Yeah. And, uh, and then they have to experience the results of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we can accumulate a great deal of destructive karma, rejoicing in harmful deeds when we listen to the news, or when we read the, the good news stories, which are always nice to read. Okay, and great stores of merit are generated by rejoicing in the virtues of the Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, Arhats, Aryas, and all ordinary beings. Okay, so when we practice rejoicing, you know, this is the lazy person's way to accumulate a lot of virtue. 
Yeah, you don't even have to do the action yourself. You can just lie on your bed and rejoice at what others have done. And you'll find if you practice rejoicing and thinking about others' virtue, your mind will be happy. When we, when we look at other people's virtue or their opportunities or their talents and we get jealous, then we are incredibly unhappy. Yeah, I think jealousy is one of the most painful emotions. Yeah. But when you do the exact opposite, and again, it's just a mental flip. You don't even have to do anything. It's just change your perspective. And you rejoice at others' virtue. Then you create so much virtue, you don't create the non-virtue of jealousy, and you're happy right away. Yeah. And you get along better with the other people. Yeah. Because we know, we all know how it is when you're jealous and you hold on to that jealousy and you ruminate with that jealousy. And then every single thing that person does is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're jealous, so you can't stand them. Yeah. So even the way they make tea, horrible tea. Okay. A person can accumulate the karma from eight of the ten non-virtues simultaneously. So at the same time, he is coveting another's partner and having sex with the other person's partner. The people whom he asked to kill, steal, lie, speak divisively, speak harshly, and talk idly are also doing what he asked them to do. So you can you commit eight at the same time. So if you want to win the jackpot of non-virtuous paths of action, there's the way to do it. Okay? Because the motivation plays such an important role in the ethical dimension of an action, it is not always possible to distinguish a constructive or destructive action on the basis of the action alone, especially when when we start imputing motivations to other people. Yeah? Then we really can't tell what the karma is. We just impute motivations. Okay, so we may chat with colleagues at work for the purpose of establishing pleasant relationships with them. Yeah, so that's our motivation. This is different from chatting with them in order to make ourselves look good, denigrate others, or waste time. So the action is the same, but it's done by two different with two different emotions, uh, you know, two, two different intentions. So you accumulate two different kinds of karma. Yeah. Instead of following every urge that enters our mind, it behooves us to be aware of what motivates us to act. Yeah. So we, you know, so many people tend to be impulsive. And, 
an idea comes in the mind and immediately they act it out. Yeah. And uh, so that can be very precarious, okay? Because we get ourselves into all sorts of jams. And in the current course, we've seen this happen among, among people, you know. People make snap decisions, impulsive actions. We may be um, so charmed with a person or an object that we are oblivious to our intentions as we interact with them. Okay. Meanwhile, attachment is rising in our mind, and before we know it, we are coveting the object or the person's company. Okay, because we weren't aware of the motivation at the beginning. Yeah, there was a little bit of attachment in the mind, and we went, mm, "That looks good. I'll follow that because I want happiness." Not realizing that att- that attachment seems to bring happiness initially, but always winds up bringing suffering. Similarly, while a colleague is giving us feedback about our work, we become defensive. Unaware that we've become angry, we do not notice our intention to speak harshly, and soon we are astonished to find ourselves in a nasty argument with that person. Okay, so we aren't aware, we just follow the impulse in the mind, and then, yeah, we wind up where we wind up. Have you ever been in a situation and said, how in the world did I wind up here? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Yeah, you ever been in that situation? Well, this is exactly how we got there. Yeah. And once you're in the situation, is it easy to get out? Not so easy to get out. So lacking mindfulness and introspective awareness of our intentions and afflictions, we find ourselves in difficult situations now and create destructive karma that will cause suffering in future lives. However, by repeatedly renewing our mindfulness of constructive actions, keeping them in mind, and activating the introspective awareness that monitors what we are thinking, saying, or doing, we will be able to direct our body, speech, and mind with wisdom and kindness. Okay, so there are those two mental factors. Uh, mindfulness and introspective awareness. So they come uh, when we talk about higher training and concentration, because they're important in our meditation to develop concentration. But they're also important in the higher training of uh, ethical conduct, because um, mindfulness keeps in mind uh, the virtuous actions that we want to do, and it helps us hold hold them in mind so we can do them. And uh, introspective awareness monitors what we're thinking, saying, and doing to see if we're going in the direction of virtue or if we are off in la-la land. 
um, maybe uh, either you know spaced out or planning revenge on somebody that we can't stand. Okay. Taking and keeping precepts helps us to abandon non-virtue by making us more mindful of how we would like to behave and how we are actually behaving. Is that your experience, holding precepts? That does make you much more aware, doesn't it? Okay, holding precepts increases our conscientiousness and respect for ethical conduct. It also stops confusion in challenging situations because we reflect that previously, with a clear mind, we saw the disadvantages of this action and we took a precept to abandon it. So when we take precepts, okay, nobody is forcing us to do it. What we're really doing is saying, I'm not going to do the actions that I don't want to do anyway. Yeah, I need some uh, enforcement to help me when I'm in a situation and my afflictions arise and it's tempting to engage in a certain action that really when I stop and think about it, I really don't want to do this action. So taking the precept, really enforces our good intention and makes us more aware of the action so that we can cut it before we do it, okay? The, the, um, okay, actually tomorrow I should talk about the benefits of taking precepts, okay? Remind me, Okay, so some actions have both constructive and destructive elements and bring mixed effects. For example, someone gives a donation to build a hospital for the poor with the thought that his name will appear on a plaque that lists the donors. Although his motivation is non-virtuous, yeah, it's for fame and approval and this kind of stuff, it's not out of, ge- out of generosity. The action does benefit others. Okay, so it's a mixed karma. The motivation is not so good. The action itself is good. Okay. Alternatively, the thought could be virtuous, but the action non-virtuous. So a teacher is motivated by affection and care for a student, but speaks harshly in order to motivate him to overcome his laziness. Okay. Some actions, such as sweeping the floor, that are done with an intention that is neither constructive nor destructive, brings neutral results. The question also arises whether uh, not helping someone can create negative karma. So here we must take into consideration the person's motivation as well as the situation. For example, two people are quarreling. One onlooker thinks, my intervention could aggravate the situation, while another thinks, Getting involved is very inconvenient for me. Neither of these people intervenes, but they create different karma. Yeah, 
for their motivation for not intervening. Sometimes other people may become angry at us while from our side we had no intention of harming them. This even happened to the Buddha. Some villagers, upon seeing the Buddha and Sangha enter their village to gather alms, were furious because they mistakenly thought the Buddha was simply living off their hard work. Although the Buddha was the object of their hostility, his action was not destructive. He had no intention to harm those people or to make them angry. Okay? So, you know, if we have a good intention, but, uh, you know, other people misinterpret things and get upset, that that is, we do not create negative karma from that. Okay? On the other hand, if someone deliberately antagonizes another person with the thought to upset him, or willfully tries to make someone overly dependent and attached to him, his actions are destructive because a harmful intention was present. Okay? So, um, yeah. The action may be the same, speaking to somebody, but it can be done with two different intentions and create, therefore, two different kinds of karma. There is much to ponder regarding the ten non-virtues, and doing a review of our lives will enable us to identify habitual destructive actions that we need to purify and to prevent doing in the future. Yeah. So again, just as we in our practice, we want to work... Um, with, uh, you know, subduing the whatever affliction is the strongest in our mind, focus on that one first. In practicing, you know, observing the law of karma and its effects, look for the repeated actions that you do, especially the ones that are heavy negative actions. Okay, because that just accumulates more and more karma. The, the more we repeat an action, even if it's a small action, the, the more the repetition makes uh, the karma heavier. Okay, so here's the reflection. At this very moment, you are creating the causes for what you will become and the events you will experience. What kind of future do you want to create for yourself? Okay. So this sounds like what the, uh, um, what, what do they call it? The uh, job counselor at a university for, you know, uh, says to the, the seniors who are graduating, what kind of future do you want to create for yourself? You know. Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? So Buddha is asking the same thing, but it has a bit of a different meaning because he's not talking about the uh, eight worldly concerns. So think about what kind of future life you want to have. Yeah, And even in this life, because our actions result in this, have results in this life too. 
So which actions do you need to engage in in order to bring about that future? And which actions must you abandon? Yeah, so if you want to get a, a precious human life, next time, what actions you need to engage in to create the cause for it, and what actions do you need to abandon? And then make a de- determination to set healthy and meaningful goals and to act in an ethical and kind manner in order to attain them. So, um, Venerable Wuyin was saying to me that when uh, people come to her and they want to ordain, that she asks them, uh, what do you want to be in 30 years? Who do you want to be like? Yeah. Do you want to be like me? Do you want to be like your mother? Uh, do you want to be like, you know, Meghan Markle? Who do you want to be with, be like? You know? And this is important for us, even as Buddhist practitioners, yeah, to think about what we want to be like in future lives and also as we age in this lifetime. So many years ago, I was visiting my brother in Kansas, okay? And, uh, and he's my younger brother. But he sat me down because he was very concerned about me. And he said, what do you want to be doing in five years? What do you want to be in five years? You know, because we were raised that you have to be somebody. And you have to have a career and you have to make money and you have to have social status and you have to have 2.5 kids, you know? And so what do you want to be? I was already ordained for a long time by then. Okay, what do you want to be in five years' time? And I looked at him and I said, very sincerely, I said, I want to be a kinder person. And he said, what do you want to be? (laughs) A kinder person, a more ethical person. Come on, you know, tell me what you want to be, what you want to do, what you want to have. Yeah? It's an interesting conversation. Yeah? He said, do you want to be the head of a Dharma center or a monastery? I said, no. (laughs) Yeah, I have no intention to do that. So our lives sometimes turn out differently than we planned. Okay. So um, now we're on the section about constructive actions. So it has to do with um, this issue of karma not creating afflictions. And so I was thinking that um, one of the effects of a non-virtuous or a virtuous action is that you're more likely to do that same thing in the future. And so if any action is motivated by an affliction or any non-virtuous action is motivated by an affliction, it seems like in that case, the karma would have 
propelled the affliction that then leads to the action, to, to the action again? Or is it that some other mechanism where, you know, the karma, um, it prevents other, some kind of other intervening okay, factor? Okay, so you're asking, if w let's say we have a, a habitual action we do in one life, that creates karma. So in the next life, uh, isn't that going to create the car? The uh, you know, won't it make us do that action again because we're familiar with it? So doesn't karma create afflictions? I had that question too. I asked His Holiness, and he said, "Hmm." <laughs> yes. Okay, so the, the seeds come after the action has ceased. Yes. The seeds in the mind is neutral, but the action that placed the seed on the mind can be virtuous or non-virtuous. Yeah, or neutral. Or neutral. So when the karmic seed ripens, the result would be pain or pleasure depending on whether the karma was virtuous or non-virtuous. So it does the flavor the seed. And it gave way to the karmic seed. It, it gave way to the karmic seed. And then the karmic seed ripens mm -hmm. primarily, not always, but primarily in yeah. terms of the feeling, feeling aggregate, whether we experience happiness or pain. So the karma does influence what that feeling uh, may yeah, be. because the karma gives rise to the karmic seed, which, is which carries the potential coming from the karma, and that gives rise to the, the feeling, principally, okay. that you experience. Okay, so I'm trying to understand this neutrality of this seed, but it still has a potency yeah, coming it, from a virtue. It has a potency, but it itself doesn't have virtue or non-virtue. Okay, it's, uh, what would be a good example? Um, I don't know, you know, you, you, you put chocolate in a box, okay, and the box travels. The box itself doesn't have the, you know, isn't delicious or, or non-delicious, but it, it's carrying the potency of something that is delicious. So kind of like that. That's not a very good example, but it gives you, you know, yeah. Yeah, the ripening. Because like the ripening, the first ripening is it mature, the maturation or ripening result into your body. Your body is neither virtuous nor non-virtuous. Okay, so the ripenings are neutral. Which, and the, feeling, the feeling component comes after the maturation of that seed. Yeah, or sometimes the, the feeling component is the maturation. Sure. Okay, but again, feeling happiness or unhappiness is not virtuous or non-virtuous. Mm -hmm. If you feel happy and you get attached to it, you cling to it. Then if it you feel unhappy and you get angry, mm -hmm. okay, but the feeling itself is just what it is. I mean, it's just it's what it is. is, yeah. The thing is, we are very habituated when it's an unpleasant feeling, 
to get angry or hostile or animosity. And when it's a pleasant feeling, we go for it. You know, we crave it. That's where then the affliction then propels us to have the intention to res to respond from right. that ripening. Exactly. You know, because remember, feeling when you when you study the the twelve links, feeling gives rise to craving. Yeah. Uh huh. I have one question, and then there's maybe four or five online. Okay. Um, I don't quite understand how the three mental actions um, are not karma or intention, um, because when we in the description here it says that the action of malice is think, thinking I will harm that person. That sounds like an intention to me. So I'm got a bit of a disconnect there. Yeah, but. The the uh, it's the affliction of mal you know malice or anger. It's con it's in this uh, the retinue of the same mental of a of a the same mental state with a mental factor of intention. Okay, so it it isn't the intention but it contaminates the intention. And the intention is the karma. Okay? So, you know, remember it said that intention and, uh, and you know, the, these mental factors, you know, they're mutually exclusive. One thing can't be the other. Yeah? But they can exist in the retinue of the same mental consciousness. Yeah, I guess I just, it's, it's con, I need to think about this one because it's confusing to me that the action of malice is the is an intention, but it's not an intention. Anyway, yeah. I'll think about it. Okay. Um, it's been various questions. Let me just find them. Mm -hmm. um, someone asked, can animosity be defined as jealous anger? Animosity... I, animosity doesn't have to have jealousy in it. It may have jealousy before it, but it not necessarily. And Nicole asks, regarding the commander who orders the killing of the enemy, would the congressional representatives who approved a declaration of war also have the karma of murder? I think so. And then would voters supporting war hawk candidates also would voters supporting? Voters. I think there's got to be some camera, some karma in there too. Yeah, especially when they kill, you're rejoicing. You know, you voted for the people who would, you know, go bomb the enemy. Cheryl asks: Does killing a human yourself always ripen in the very next lifetime? And does the karma of ordering others to kill also ripen in the very next life? Not necessarily. Yeah. At the time of death, it, it depends which karma is the stronger, strongest. So it depends, you know, which karma is strong at the time of death. And that will also depend on your mental state that makes a karma, a karmic seed ripen. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Kenya asks, Venerable, is it okay for us to request for the five precepts from you virtually since we cannot take it physically due to COVID? Uh, yeah. In fact, I did that at the beginning of the month. Um, I did that online. But if there's a number of people who want to do the precepts, we can arrange it over line. Yeah. And then... Uh, Jolene comments that, frankly, before um, Trump became president, I was quite neutral about going into his hotel, but after he becomes a president, we become hesitant if we should support a leader that lies so much. Well, what do you think? You want to support a leader who lies? No, I think it was, it was a statement. It was oh, just, it was they, a they, statement. They become oh, okay. hesitant. Okay. And then yeah. the question, um, she was also saying... Uh, so is it your virtuous karma to lead the rest of us, or is it your intention that makes you lead the rest of us? Is it your karma or your intention that comes first? I think my karma must have something to do with me being in this position, but it's the intention that counts. And we've been available visually, white after <laughs> so the fact, mental factor of intention is one of the five omnipresent mental factors. Yeah. So are we creating karma every moment of uh, our mind? Okay. So we're, we probably, at least with the action of the mental consciousness, um, are creating karma, but a lot of our karma is just kind of neutral. There's no specific motivation for doing this or that. Even if they're neutral, they, there is the ignorance that is uh, always there, so then it becomes non-virtuous, isn't it? No. That quotation from, um, from Nagarjuna about Everything that is created by ignorance, anger, and, and attachment is non-virtuous. Okay, um, there, it it doesn't mean the ignorance grasping inherent existence. It just means the ignorance of karma. So when your mind does not at all think about karma. And then, like the examples I gave earlier, so you just do whatever, thinking it's okay. That kind of ignorance um, is what creates non-virtue, not the ignorance of self-grasping. If we are creating karma, with, uh, even if it's neutral, are we setting off like 12 links every single moment? The, the um, Neutral karma doesn't doesn't uh, start the twelve links, as far as I understand. Yeah. Yeah. But we may do enough non-virtue and virtue to make up for that. <laughs> yeah. Because to create a rebirth, you know, like the twelve links does. The, you, you really, you have to have some strong intention that, that moves the body, speech, or mind. And a neutral intention doesn't do anything, you know, to really 
create any kind of pathway. In order to um, create a rebirth via the 12 links, the action also needs to be complete with yes. all four. So if it's not complete, then it doesn't set off. The right, it doesn't, it, it cannot, it won't ripen in terms of a rebirth, but it can ripen in terms of a lot of other things. Sure. Yeah. And you have to have all four of the, the factors uh, together to make it a complete action. Someone's asking, is donating to the Lincoln Project creating negative karma? Is the what? The Lincoln Project. <laughs> I think it depends on their motivation. Yeah? Are they wanting to harm somebody or are they wanting to help the country? So if we don't say like negative karmic seeds or positive karmic seeds, we should say karmic seeds that will result in suffering or, or, or happiness? Or seeds of negative karma, seeds okay. of positive karma. Okay. So the positive negative modifies the karma, not the seed. Okay. So we'll stop here.